Is this on? You sure? Okay. Thank you all for coming. It's a testament to uh, Suzanne's love for you all and your, yours for her. Appreciate it. Uh, I just want to say that there's been a lot of preparation, even though I'm late starting, for this event. Um, every surface has been cleaned, and I want to thank everybody that has participated in that. And I want to thank the Mills, um, whose group is named The Sound. Um, they're old friends, and they were good enough. They have a number one song and are up for a Dove Award presently. Um, so we're honored to have them. And with that, I want to tell you about Suzanne Randall Lindeberg Ripple. She wasn't just my loving and lovely wife, her children's loving and wonderful mother, my patient's warm receptionist who tried to get them laughing so they'd loosen up for me to adjust them, and sister to her much younger brother who she loved as a baby and who she endlessly amused as he grew, and who, by the way, is watching this in Georgia because of COVID and would love to be here with us. Hi, Larry and Jan. The other folks in her life were many of you here in God's house that worshiped our Lord with her and loved her so well. I remember well Suzanne sitting in her wheelchair right down there, watching me read the Sunday sermon scripture and beaming with pride. That amazed me because I don't understand why that act of reading inspired her so much, except, of course, that it was and is God's word, and it was her husband reading it. Her respect for me was boundless, even as many times it was undeserved. That's what I wanted to tell you about Suzanne. A plaque that's on the front of this piano reads, In memory of Suzanne Riffle, she lived the love of Christ. I made those words up because in joining this loving church body in membership, we are required to say a few words in front of the congregation about who God is to us and his saving grace that affords us life eternally with him. At that time, Suzanne was still able to talk. Most of you know that she later lost that ability to dementia. Because of her morbid shyness that I didn't mind at all, the pastor, elders, and all graciously allowed me to speak for both of us. And again, Suzanne just beamed while I read her testimony of faith in our Savior Jesus Christ. At the time, doubts bothered me about Suzanne's inability to express those vital sentiments that Christ said we must. Her attitude, at least though, and her life affirmed her acknowledgement of those truths. 
Nevertheless, those doubts persisted in me for years, a subject I'll return to after I digress briefly from referring directly to Suzanne. We can't talk about anyone without the awareness of what they meant to us, and what they meant to us is who they were in relationship to us, to others, and to our God. I include God in our relationship because he is love, and there would be no relationship without his love. The opposite of love is hate, or the driving away of relationship. Essentially, we're here, thank God, to celebrate the eternal loving relationship Suzanne has attained, not by her own perfection, to be acceptable to a perfect God, but by his mercy to her, because she believed in him. He gave up his perfect son to bleed out his life, giving blood on a cross to cover our imperfections from God the perfect father. God being perfect cannot tolerate imperfection or sin. If we're honest with ourselves, none of us is perfect. It's only the love, it's only the hope we have as Christians that allows us the gift of faith in God our creator that will avoid eternal torment devoid of his loving presence. That life-giving faith is ours only if we trust God the Father to give it to us. But for him to give it and for us to receive it, he requires us to ask for it. And he promised in his word to not only give it, but to give it abundantly and eternally. I could be classified as a professional doubter for much of my life, in spite of trusting him at a very young age. I came to realize in time that the goodness in Suzanne's life and the little goodness in my own life was there only because of the presence of Jesus' Holy Spirit in each of us. You see, some of us who have been in church all of our lives as we were came to believe in God's promise of eternal life at such an early age, we don't even remember it. That's how that neglected gift of salvation comes to be doubted. As such, I and many church folk have been deceived into believing that the new good nature he gave us by his presence in us is our own goodness, not so. That's why our own original nature, the dark one, draws us away from Christ's goodness and deceives us into thinking any goodness we possess is our own. Hence, we church folk often become hypocrites. But as one pastor put it, don't let hypocrites stop you from coming to church. We can always use one more. I would modify that statement by saying that we church folk can always benefit by anyone reminding us that our goodness is not our own, but Christ's. And there's more rejoicing in heaven when one unchurched stray joins the fold than when far more church folks do. And that is why we're gathered here today. There's a wedding feast in heaven that Suzanne is adding her beautiful touches to. We're all invited. But to be accepted at the party 
proper attire is required. No red carpet or gown will do. Only shining gowns and crowns that he provides are allowed, obtainable only at the clothier named Faith in the One and Only Son of God, Jesus Christ. He's waiting for you to ask him, trusting him for your most valuable invite you'll ever receive. He's waiting. Suzanne's waiting. Please join us for an eternal celebration of love and life. I've not recalled the many, many joys I've had of having Suzanne as my wife because I probably couldn't get through it. But that's why our family and I have invited you here today to share your remembrances of our lovely friend, Suzanne. And with that, I hand the program over to Rob Levi and Jake Mills, who are called The Sound. And I want to introduce our pastor, Pastor Fred Luke, who will be having some comments later. Thank you.
Pastor, Pastor Fred Luke. Funerals are usually thought of as sad times, sorrowful times, and they do have that aspect to it. But with the Christians, and our faith in Christ, and our hope of eternal life, it's a time of celebration, not just tears and sorrow. I want to read a scripture from the book of Hebrews, first 11 verses of chapter 4. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest, referring to God's rest, still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did, referring to the Old Testament saints. But the message they heard had no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Basically saying they heard the message, but they didn't believe it. Now we who have believed enter into that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they will never enter my rest. And yet his work had been finished since the creation of the world, where somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in, the, in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all of his work. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest, which means God does have a rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them didn't go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again has set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through King David, as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, referring to Joshua leading them into the promised land, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, 
sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before him, before whose eyes we shall give an account. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's the message of the gospel. It's the truth for our souls. A lot of books have been written, spiritual books, but none reaches the epitome of the Bible. For this is the word of God given through your prophets as you spoke and about themes that are so important to our lives, this great theme of eternal life. So we ask, Lord, you'll bless us as we talk a little bit about these things. Thank you for each one that has come tonight. And we pray, Lord, that your blessing will be upon them. In Christ's name we ask, and for his glory, amen. In this scripture, we inform by God that he has ordained a rest for his people. Not simply an oasis, not a water hole in the desert, but a lasting rest. A time for his children to cease from the toil and labor of their lives and to enter into a state of peace and tranquility. Some of what is referenced historically in this text was but a type or a shadow of the real rest that was to come. Since this is God speaking to us through what is written, the warnings of the text and the comforts as well are not connived by men, but promised by the God from scriptures who cannot lie, the scripture says. I want you to consider, firstly, some Old Testament symbols for rest. The text mentions two. Number one, the creation account. That's described by Moses and referenced by our author, and it refers to God resting after his six days of creation and resting on the seventh day. The scripture says, By the seventh day God had finished the work that he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of, treaty, of cre- creating that he had done. Genesis 2, verse 2 and 3. The point being made is that we are early as the early dawn of man. God planned a rest for man. The Sabbath rest, the seventh day, was a pledge of the coming spiritual rest promised to all who believe. Simply put, God had planned an ending day for man's labor and for all the turmoil and struggle associated with that labor. This was before man's fall into sin, which aggravated the whole issue even more through labor, sweat, work, tiredness, pain, suffering, all came as a result. So you see, the rest that God planned was no afterthought with God. No, it was planned from the beginning. Before Adam plowed one field, before he pruned one tree, before he sheared one sheep, God was already talking about rest. Rest. The second symbol of rest that our author references is that of Palestine, which was designated as the land of promise. Because God promised this geography to Abraham and his descendants. 
In a day of great famine, Jacob, one of Abraham's son, migrated to Egypt, which was the only place to find food because of the famine. After many years of prosperous living there, there arose a Pharaoh who knew nothing of Joseph's intervention on the nation's behalf, and he began to oppress the Israelites with taskmasters who conscripted them to build cities and monuments. And you know about this from your history. The great pyramids, the great temples for the pharaohs of Egypt. Moses writes, as the historian, they made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Exodus 1, verse 14. That was their lot. While Moses became the man that God raised up to lead the Israelites to freedom in the promised land through the Red Sea, miraculously on dry ground. By the way, if you're interested, you can go online to this site, Ark Discovery, one word, arcdiscovery.com. And you will see all of the scientific proof for the Red Sea crossing, the location, chariot wheels at the bottom of the sea, photograph there, the location of Mount Sinai, all of those things which are recorded in the scriptures. They are found historically, scientifically at the bottom of the Red Sea. Moses brought Israel to the doorway of Palestine, but not into the promised land. That task was left to Joshua, his successor. Under Moses' leadership, the Israelites refused to enter the land in fear of the giants and fortified cities that they found there. So, oh no, we're not going in there. There's, there's big people that live there. They're, they're twice, three times our size, and their cities are fortified. They got walled cities. How are we going to defeat these people? Because of that unbelief, God says they were not going to enter at all. God sent them to wandering in the desert of the Sinai Peninsula until that whole generation died off. All those that came out of Egypt, the older generation, died off in the wilderness because of their unbelief. But Palestine remained the symbol, the symbol of rest, unobtainable though it was through disobedience and lack of faith. The writer of Hebrews says the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Very simply, God spoke and they didn't believe him. Not good. God does not respond to skeptics, to cynics, to blasphemers, and certainly not to mockers. They're left to retrieve their uh, effects of their own belief. Their own belief. Well, eventually, a new generation of Israelites was born, and under Joshua, they did enter the promised land. So this would be the children. The children of those that <laughs> didn't enter. But lest we forget a little bit and get lost in the history, what God meant by rest, in our text, he tells us, in Hebrews 4, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Oh, verse 8, another day. What other day? 
Now we're talking about another day of rest. Verse 7. God said, A certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, that's King David, as we said before, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Psalm 95, verse 7. If you think about this, today, today is always present. It's a present designation. Yesterday addresses the past which was there and gone and is never to be repeated. Tomorrow addresses the future which isn't here yet and which no one can decipher. But today, today is right now. It's right now in this moment of time-space history. Today makes the promise of God rests as relevant as the day that it was first given. I like that. Our author warns, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. Wow. Still remains. Let us be careful that none of us be found to have fallen short of it. Verse 1. Well, how did Israel fall short? They came right up to the promised land. They didn't go in. What happened? The writer says they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. They got right up to the door and they began to look at the large-sized people that lived in that land and the fortified cities. And they said, we can't do that. Lord, what are you up to? We're just little people here. And these are giants and fortified cities and they got armaments and all kinds of things so we can't do it. But God says they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. They didn't trust God. The point made by our author is we also have had the gospel preached to us. That's the good news about God's rest. Just as they did. Yes, but are we going to fare any better? That's the question. What is the true rest of God? Symbolism aside, God never meant us to believe that one day in seven, when we do not have to go to work, that that's the rest that he had in mind for sinful man. Nor was Palestine the land of promise. It was meant to be the epitome of ending our wayward wanderings in the desert to enter into God's rest. It was symbolism, but it wasn't the place, you see. These were all the gospel written in history, in types, in shadows, in geography, in events. So how do you know this? Well, verse 9 says, There remains then the Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Again, how did Israel fall? Through their unbelief. They didn't believe God would enable them to withstand the giants and overthrow the fortified cities and take possession of the land. They just didn't believe it. So fear, not faith, ruled their hearts. Although they had a whole history of God 
delivering them and protecting them. Not the least of which was this recent crossing of the Red Sea as they exited Egypt and came into the promised land. God's rest which remains, which is the gospel for our day, and which also beckons us to enter in, is the good news that Jesus, God's Son, has secured for his people a rest like no other. The writer writes in verse 14, Since we have a great high priest, referring to Christ, who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach, there's the idea of entering, the throne of grace with confidence, with faith, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Verse 3 says, Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God had said. Well, this was Suzanne, very frankly, and others of her family and friends sitting here tonight. The invitation of Jesus is this. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29. Here we discover that the rest of God is not a place, it's a person. And yes, he has prepared a place too, but that place, heaven, is only a haven for rest because of Jesus being there and what he has done to make it a place of rest. He told the men who believed in him, do not let your heart be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Wonderful text, John 14, verse 3 verses. In his prayer the night of his crucifixion, He prayed to his father, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory because you love me before the creation of the world. John 17, verse 24. Heaven is not for do-gooders. It is not for people who are self-righteous. It is not for people who try to work their way to get there. It is for believers who have faith in the Son of God who offers his rest through repentance and faith. Verse 10 says, Anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. God's rest is given as a gift, as Jesus put it this way. Come unto me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. 
It's a gift. Such rest can begin here and now. As we read earlier, it is today if you respond to God's call. God's rest culminates in glory, but there is a real sense in which it can be experienced today in your lifetime. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has paved the way to forgiveness and right standing before God. He's taken the guilt of sin upon himself to the cross, and all who call upon him reap the benefit of his death and his burial and his resurrection. So what about you? Bible-believing churches are found everywhere across our country. Christ as the Savior of sinners is preached. What have you done with that good news? Are you adding faith to it? Have you sought God's forgiveness for sin? Or are you ignoring your day of rest, your time of rest? You know, there comes an end to the patience of God. People think that of God that, well, I can just do what I want when I want. He, he's, he's always going to be there. I'll get around to God someday. Well, you might get around to God someday, and you will find that he's not there for you. To that initial generation of Israelites who stopped short of entering into the promised land because, oh, they saw the giants. Oh, they saw the fortified city. And, oh, boy, they weren't going to trust God to get them through that. To that generation, God said this, I swore in my oath, saying they shall never enter my rest. Unbelief is a killer. Because the Bible affirms without faith it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Faith pleases God. Unbelief angers God. Suzanne was a woman of faith and has now entered into her final rest. So why do you know that? Well, from the fact that she was in my church for many, many years, or had opportunity to witness her life and to see her faith in action. That's how. Faith does have an action. Faith produces godliness. She was a quiet, unassuming woman, characterized by love for people, which flowed from her love from God. Her dementia evidenced itself at times in her being confused. That's true. Maybe even resistant to people trying to relate to her. That's also true. But who knows how you or I will act in the twilight years of our life if disease wrecks our bodies. Suzanne joins a whole host of notables in the By Faith chapter of Hebrews 11, of whom it is said, All these people were still living by faith when they died. That's an interesting statement. They were still living by faith when their life ended. 
All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. And people who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Suzanne is at rest with God. The days of her labor, her toil, her pain, her suffering, they've all ended. My prayer is that you and I will die with the same hope and the same faith because a reunion awaits all who do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that you have given us the way of salvation and has spelled it out for us in the person of Jesus, the Savior. Someone that Suzanne loved and epitomized in her life. Was she perfect? No. Are we perfect? No. Are we yet sinners? Yes. But Lord, your graciousness to us comes in the power of the blood of Christ. And I thank you for that. We look to Jesus and praise you for your great grace. You stooped down to us. We didn't come up to you. You stooped down to us, became a man, lived your life in such a way that you would become the step in, the sacrificial lamb to take upon yourself the sins of your people. If we will believe that. I thank you for that substitution, for that stepping in. I pray, Lord, for each one here that if they've not made their peace with God, they can make their peace with Christ with God through Christ. And we thank you for the life of Suzanne we come to celebrate tonight. And thank you for bringing her into our lives. And we praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Reverend Luke. Appreciate those words. Brothers, can you sing about the rest for us? Would you like me to hold this uh, mic for you? Would you like me to hold this mic for you? You want to hang on to it here? I got you. I got you. I got you. Yeah, here. Ready? I'm going to sing an old gospel song here. Go ahead. Kick me off. One. Through it all, through it all, 
I've had many dreams and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. And there were times I didn't know right from wrong. But in each and every situation, God gave blessed consolation. My trials only come to make me strong. I say through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Trusting God through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend, depend on His word. something on that piano real quick. Come on.
Excuse us, I didn't have this planned real well. Um, at this time, I would like it op to open it up to especially the family and all our friends. Thank you again for coming. And then we'll have the meal downstairs. So I will hand the mic around unless Lawrence, where's Lawrence, would like to come up here and start because he had some beautiful words, some beautiful sentiments at the funeral. Thanks, Lawrence. Well, good evening. I'm Lawrence. I'm uh, Suzanne's uh, youngest child. Some would say the best child, but that's what I would say. Uh, but as, as Ed was uh, talking and uh, heard Robbie sing, I haven't heard him sing in a while, and I was looking at that picture of my mom, and I can tell you... Uh, does anyone know what the name Suzanne stands for? I know you know, Sally. <laughs> Delicate as a lily. If, and obviously everyone here knows my mom. She, uh, she was delicate as a lily. Uh, I'm really going to miss the fact that even though she was morbidly uh, quiet, but that was her strength. I thought that a lot in my life. Uh, her quiet gentleness through my entire childhood always was her strength. Uh, I, I will forever miss her, obviously. I know she's in a better spot. I got all that. But I'm selfish, right? I want to see her. And who wouldn't want one of her pies right now, right? Because, I mean, being raised by a person that, uh, like I said, was an expert cook, baker, homemaker, gardener. It, it was very, my wife, I told him the last time I spoke, has a very hard job to do right now because he has a very high standard to meet, right? And, and whenever I listen to people talk in life about their issues, and they always blame their parents. I have never once done that because I had the perfect childhood. My mom was there for all my friends. And to this day, when I see people that were my childhood friends, their parents come to me and say, I wanted to say your mom helped raise my kids. They were always at my house. Probably the big pool in the backyard, but, but they were always at my house. Right, Todd? You, <laughs> you remember? She was. She, she did so many things that were amazing for me. And I'm really going to miss her. And I, I that picture. Um, Ed, when was that picture taken, Ed, by the way? That was in St. Lucia. We stood up for a couple that had no plans for their wedding. I had uh, a harmonica in my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, well, it's a very, it really, mom comes right out in that picture. I got to tell you that. And I'm, I'm really going to be, I'm really going to miss her. Um, again, uh, I have to give you a call out, Ed, like I did the last time. What you did for her at the end, the, all the, how you took care of her, was quite amazing. And Sally. And what? Yeah, both of you did a very good job. I'm a little embarrassed because I wasn't as involved at the end because I had a real hard time dealing with watching what my mom was going through, right? So it was quite amazing what you guys did. So got, having gained a great person, and we lost somebody. So, but I know where she's at. I feel real confident in that. So I have. Sally, do you want to say something? Or? Who's jumping up to be next? Anyone? Thanks, Rick. 
Bricks a patient, long-time patient. Can I bring the mic to you? No, I don't need a mic. All right. No, you don't. You certainly don't. I, I think one of the things that I got a lot of joy out of, uh, other than getting relief, was Suzanne was delightful. She always, we travel a lot with antique cars, and she'd always know where, where were, where'd you go, and what did you see, and oh, we're going to go there someday, and I'd bring her different brochures and stuff on places we've been, and tell her the different things we, well, I didn't know you could do that, and yeah, you can do that. And she just, I'd come to, when I'd come to the office, so I'd bring an old car, she would just be smiling right there, you know, ear to ear, just to see the old car pull up, and knowing we're having fun, and she wanted to have fun with it. Uh, like I say, that was, that was a warm spot for me, for sure. Thank you. And Wayne always came in whistling, which I'll never forget. My name's Kevin. I've been a, uh, a friend of Ed's for a long time and knew Susan as well. And Ed's been my chiropractor for longer than I can remember. And everybody always spoke about uh, Suzanne's quietness in her, in her heart. But Ed always used to laugh that um, although she was quiet, when you're waiting for Ed to be done with the patient, before you'd know it, we'd be laughing and giggling because <laughs> he'd always come out and say, what's going on out there? But um, it was her kind heart that everybody would always see that knew her. And um, you could just see the love of Christ in what she said and what she did. And there's not many like her. And uh, she, no matter what, you were talking about you walked away knowing that she's touched your heart and you were able to see the person that she was. Thank you. She was a sweetie. Nobody's jumping. My name is Rob and uh, I had the pleasure of uh, being the minister of music um, and we went to church together for a number of years uh, Ed and Suzanne and and um, every Easter um, I came up with the idea of doing a great Easter um, Easter spect uh, spectacular we would call it I think and um, Ed was Jesus um, <laughs> Ed was Jesus every year and uh, and it just became it just became that. And uh, but um, we all know uh, Ed that you would not have been Jesus if it weren't for Suzanne. <laughs> Suzanne, uh, listen, listen. Amen. Suzanne was the one that put it all together and made made Ed look like Jesus. And I'm telling you, when you put a whole bunch of smoke and lights on Ed uh, when he comes out of the tomb, it is something to behold. But, uh, but Suzanne really uh, was the one that, that made all of that work. And, and I know that uh, the church would always recognize, the churches, uh, we were two different churches, churches would always recognize um, Ed and uh, his contribution for being Jesus. But, but Suzanne was the one that made that work. And uh, it would have never happened without her. And it was, it was really, uh, um, she really made an, an impact. Um, for a lot of people 
um, even though people may not have realized it, she did. And so we're grateful for that. Anyone else? Now, the sound.
Okay, folks, we're almost done. This last song is a beauty. It is well with my soul. Jared, help me remember. Was that the Titanic? A different ship. Nevertheless, long time ago, It Is Well With My Soul was written by someone, and if you'd like to take over, you're welcome to.
Amen. Let's eat. Before we do, I want to thank you again for your support for this remembrance of Suzanne. Boy, if she's able to listen, she'd have loved it. And uh, I always pray, Jesus, give her a hug. So I'm going to ask Reverend Luke to say the blessing on the food before we go down. And uh, there are masks and gloves and uh, anything you might need. Um, and again, thank you for coming. Our gracious Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity to sing praises to you, that's for sure, to think of our dear sister being with you, absent from the body, Paul says, absent from the body, but present with the Lord. He knew about that. Instantaneous. And someday for all believers, there'll be a reunion that will make the heavens shout. Well, we thank you, Lord, for the group that has come out tonight. Thank you for the food that has been prepared. We pray that you'll bless the food and for our time of fellowship. May we, as we sit around the table, we just think of the good times and remembrances of having Suzanne in our life. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Downstairs. Out this door. Down the steps. <laughs>